0: Welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host Kathleen Mulch,
1: and I'm your host Bob Schmelzer. And thank you again for joining us on a episode here of AI Today. And for those of you that are listening to the for the first time, you should know that this is our fourth year of AI Today. Podcast, uh, almost hitting 200 episodes. So, you know, I encourage you all. If you are again listening to us for the first time, go back and listen to our fantastic library of podcasts. Interviews everyone from Ben Gertzel to Colin Angles Anthony Scrifignano, Igor Perisic, Suzette Kent, Jose Arieta, Lord Tim Clement Jones. We got people. We talk to people from all across the spectrum of uh, folks who are implementing AI, and also we take a good amount of time explaining some of the key insights into what's happening in AI and cognitive technology. We look at various markets, and you're going to be hearing some of that coming up soon because we have a, some big updates to our research on global AI adoption, also what's happening with worldwide AI strategies. We're looking at some laws and regulations that have been changing between this year and last year, as well as insights into various corners of the market, including ML ops. and we'll spend a little bit of time, a very little bit of time, talking even a little bit about that today here. So if you're interested in some of those upcoming podcasts, as well as some of our past ones, we really do encourage you to subscribe to the AI Today podcast. Uh, We're on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and Stitcher. We're everywhere. So uh, wherever wherever your uh, favorite podcasts are, make sure to hit that subscribe if this is your first episode. If this is not, then thank you for sticking with us. Uh, Well over 50,000 monthly downloads and uh, we're now the top three AI podcast in iTunes and a bunch of other places. So thank you again for being part of our online community here.
0: Right. And we are so excited to have interviews because we always get such unique perspectives. And, um, you know, it helps bring different points of view to this podcast. So I'm excited to um, say that we have two special guests today. We have Matt Chambers, who's a principal architect, and Juan Bueller, who's a senior data science engineer at Boone AI. So hi guys, and thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Hey, Kathleen. Hi, how's it going?
0: Hi. Well, we'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at Boone AI. Matt, we'll start with you.
2: Uh, well, my name is Matt Chambers. I um, my background is mostly in uh, production and visual effects. Um, I mean, in in past lives, I worked in like internet service and um, industrial machine monitoring things like that, but. Most of the work I've done is in render farms um, and big data, um, asset management and things like that for feature films. Um, I've worked on The Hobbit and the Planet of the Apes movies and some Marvel movies. Um, and all those movies generate tons and tons and tons of data. Um, and so at Boone AI, you know, my main role is the principal architect and it's to manage a lot of uh, customers' data, that they are trying to organize on the back end. So taking the, the results of the um, AI and ML you know, algorithms we're running and putting them in the database and, and normalizing that data so people can then search it and compare it um, and determine you know, what's gonna be best for them.
3: And I'm Juan Bueller. I, um, I do data science and machine learning at Boone AI. I also have, uh, like Matt, a previous uh, life, a career in computer graphics and visual effects. Uh, I worked on uh, movies like Shrek, Madagascar, uh, Ratatouille, Wally, different studios. Um, what's interesting, having done the the transition from um, computer graphics and visual effects to machine learning and data science, is that. Uh, we were back let's say in the 90s doing computer graphics doing visual effects we were doing big data before it was cool in a way uh we're dealing with as matt said again right we were dealing with this huge production of data right you the number of of assets and images that you generate for a for an animated movie or for a heavy visual effects movie is uh it's staggering. It's not just the frames that you generate; you generate, you know, dozens of elements per frame, basically. So, so I feel like that was a, an excellent kind of segue, career-wise, to what we're doing now.
1: Well, fantastic. Well, it's a really interesting background. We don't always have folks with a uh, background in computer graphics, especially in motion pictures, because that is that's serious. I know a lot of people. You know, we whip out our cameras, and you got. Everything from TikTok to Instagram are all video- familiar with that, but it's a much bigger deal when you're talking about the large data, the big data, super data at movie theaters. As a matter of fact, That may be what I think a lot of folks who may not be in the motion picture industry may relate to this idea of having lots of data, especially unstructured data. You know, we talk about that a lot. You know, it's one thing to have data sitting in a database with lots of rows and columns that we can easily query. It's yet another thing to have petabytes, zettabytes of data that are completely unstructured, that are basically practically raw binary blobs that we want to make better use of. And, And, of course, that's one of the promises of artificial intelligence is that we can extract all this extra value from this unstructured data so maybe you guys can give us some insights and some chal- maybe perhaps some of the challenges that organizations face today when they're trying to make sense of their unstructured data especially video data as it relates to what they're trying to do with machine learning and artificial intelligence
2: I can probably give a give one example right off which is that When you are generating huge amounts of unstructured data, say, such as video, there's just not really enough time to go through and tag it all manually. Um, So a typical, you know, visual effects studio will generate like a million images a day um, or maybe even more than that. I mean, from those images, you know, certain ones are, are, are selected to make movies to, you know, show directors or, you know, producers and things like that. Um, and these, they have very large, you know, libraries of of data going back many years, um, and it's very hard to like comb through this data and find things that you might want to reuse, or even things that you just made the day before. Like I've been in um, meetings, you know, or or dailies or or reviews where someone said, "Oh, I'm going to pull up, you know, the new the next the trailer that we all spent time, you know, working twelve hour days." Uh, You know, trying to get done for you know for you know a Super Bowl commercial or something like that, and then no one can find it uh, because there's just so much data that there's so many things going into the system that you know you would just could search for trailer. It's going to pull up like two thousand trailers, Um, and so being able to search that data in different ways, you know, beyond just the keyword, can be can be very useful.
3: Another another thing that is an interesting problem is that, specifically for movie studios or or, you know, animation houses, is that they might have um, elements, characters, uh, objects that are not really based on on reality, right? Like imagine I don't know, like some science fiction series of movies, right? And you have like spaceships of some sort. Uh, there isn't a previous knowledge of what those things are. And that means that there aren't any like training sets, let's say, available to train on those things. So you basically not only have unstructured data, but also those images are not cats and dogs, right? That you can actually easily find cats and dogs because there's tons of machine learning models that have seen those things before. Um, you have like... Some kind of spaceship that you never seen before. So how do you classify for that? How do you detect those? Uh, so that's where things like, uh, say, being able to generate feature vectors for for um, uh, for the data that 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 is unstructured that you have can be very valuable. And that's where the distinction between uh, search and browse is a distinction we we often make. Uh, becomes super interesting uh, i can uh, i can go deeper into this if you if you want me to but i don't want to uh to talk for too long
0: sure well that actually leads into our next question and i know that for our audience many of our podcast listeners also attend our conferences our virtual conferences and so i know that boon ai called zoroa back then was a sponsor of our machine learning Le- our Machine Learning Lifecycle Conference. And so if you'd like to watch any of their videos on Replay, they also did an Ask an Expert session, and we had both Matt and Juan at that. Um, You can go to MLLifecycleConf.com to watch any of those videos on Replay. And I do encourage you to check that out because they um, shared a lot of valuable content there. But following up a little bit more and digging a little bit deeper into this, what are some of the insights you have into extracting those valuable features from data that can train artificial intelligence and machine learning systems?
3: let me um let me quickly define a very, very um superficially, I guess what the feature vector is. We're talking about feature vector. Think about um, a fingerprint that defines characteristics of uh, whatever it is that you're trying to classify or detect, et cetera. Uh, so it's a fingerprint in the sense that it's uh, that each uh, asset or object has a unique one but it's different from a fingerprint in the sense that similar ones of these feature vectors uh, determine similar uh, assets in you know for the assets that they correspond to So uh one one that we often use is uh, a similarity vector extracted for from a neural network, uh, and what that allows us to do is do semantic similarity between images. Right? So you you start with some image, say a spaceship, and you can very easily find other spaceships that look similar to that in a in a huge uh, set of data. Um, so so that's uh that goes back to what I was saying before between the difference with uh between searching and browsing. If you if you're searching with uh, with terms that you type, that kind of requires some previous knowledge of the domain you're searching on, right? In order to type the the word dog, I need to to know that an animal called dog exists and have some idea what that is. Uh if I see an image of a dog without knowing anything about what that is, and click on a button that will give me similar images, I can find those without actually having any previous knowledge of the domain. If that makes sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean that does make make some sense. I th- I think you know, obviously, that's one of the the main benefits of of machine learning, especially as we're we're dealing with you know data that that we're trying to uncover without. I guess, you know, without the human having to tag it, you know, it's basically learning these these uh, taggings, which is a, which is actually one of the challenges. Actually, we, we spend a lot of our of our time here at Cognitica looking at various corners of the landscape. There's a whole category of companies that just do data labeling and annotation. You know, we actually had quite a few of those uh, present at our Data for AI conference back in 2020, which is now becoming, by the way, a, a community, our Data for AI community, um, which, uh, which will, will, will no doubt have a lot of those data labelers there. Um, and I think I think one of the things, by the way, if you're interested in that, go to dataaiconf, dataaiconf.com. And if you're interested in participating in our Data for AI community, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we have a lot of great – a lot of listeners here on this podcast. Um, you know, I, I think sort of this idea of the value – you know, extracting valuable features from data is – is really um one of the, one of the the core challenges right this is kind of where it's like humans are just we're just so good at at knowing what to pay attention to we're really good at categorizing things you know someone can Create a new kind of pie or something. We know it's pie. We don't have to be trained on that. So, <laughs> computers aren't so great. You know, this whole we we talked in an earlier podcast about zero shot learning and one shot learning and you know semi supervised learning. These approaches that we, maybe maybe we can get computers to be better with less data. But I think that's one of the one of the challenges. So maybe we could talk a little bit more about extracting feature sets and valuable features and 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 maybe to some extent you know also just some of the barriers. To, that you're seeing to machine learning adoption, you know, maybe that's related to this idea of data labeling or or in beyond. I know it's kind of a bit of a two parter question, but you guys can hopefully take a little bit of a little bit of that. Well,
2: in terms of barriers, at
1: least with with feature
2: vectors, we're storing them inside of a database, um, and they can be very large. And we've written, you know, our own proprietary plugins for this database, which allow us to compare feature vectors generated by a neural network, um, you know, which is more or less how we've implemented uh, image similarity search or video similarity search and things like that. So the expertise that you need to first, you know, not only have, uh, be able to understand what the feature vector is and how you can use it and how you get it out of the neural network and then how you could quantize it and then store it in a way that's going to be scalable to search millions and millions of images and then, you know, have all that stuff deployed. It's a very large team uh, of people that have to, you know, figure out all, how all that stuff is going to work. Um, and that is one of, I think, uh, a thing that's tough for adoption because ML is still considered kind of, you know, risky in a way. You know, there's a lot of things you have to figure out before you can get started. Um, There's a people have choices to make on which cloud provider they're going to use for their ML or if they're going to hire someone in-house to do it. Um, So the, you know, being able to just start using a feature vector on day one to do search or unstructured data is something that's just not, you know, feasible for a lot of people.
3: Right, and that becomes yeah that 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 amount of data and the the expense of putting together a an infrastructure to deploy it and deal with the results. Uh, that's I think the biggest barrier. Um, you can you can easily make uh, a machine learning model that does something right, Distinguish cuts from dogs. Now, how do you um, what do you do if you have million images that you need to classify into cats of dogs how do you deploy that model into those images Um, and then once you did that what do you do with the results how do you how do you organize them and perhaps search on them and, and so on so this applies only not to the idea of of browsing and organizing data with with feature vectors that that you either design or extract from somewhere but in general. Um, any kind of machine learning that you apply into into your your images, um, we you know we can we can tell a company that they they will be able to find this or that, but uh, that depends on whether those things exist in the data, and they do not know that until they they apply the machine learning into the data. And doing so requires all this infrastructure work, right? So that's that's where the I think the the main perceived barrier is. Um, you have to either hire a huge number of employees to to and make this investment to to create this infrastructure, or you have to use some platform that allows you to do so.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think that's great. I'm sure that we have just touched the tip of, you know, the depth that you guys can go here. So, listeners, if you are interested, I encourage you to reach out, talk to them more specifically around. You know your your use cases, and I'm sure they can they can talk for a much longer time on this. We have just a, our limited time in this podcast, but this has been you know great and very informative. And as I mentioned, go to machinelearninglifecyclecomp.com if you'd like to check out any other content that they've had. But You know, Matt and Juan, thank you so much. Um, We'd like to wrap up this podcast by asking a question that we ask all our guests because we get such a varied response. And I always love to hear how people kind of, you know, take this question and and view it and then answer it. So as a final note, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations and beyond?
2: Juan, I'll let you take that one first. Well, I think this is a great question as well.
3: Thank you. It's a great question. I mean, it's 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 hard to. It's always very hard to know, you know, to answer things about what you might not know, right? If I knew, if I knew the future, I always say I wouldn't be here. Um, we can see. I mean, we we can uh, try to answer it by by seeing where things are going incrementally, right? Uh, and knowing that there are organizations with huge amounts of of data that has not been mined or has not been um analyzed um there's there's um there's data in i don't know oil and gas that goes back 50 60 70 years that is extremely valuable because you don't want to do the same uh drilling that you did before because that destroys environment so it's much better to to analyze what's out there. But what's out there is some mimeograph uh, piece of paper that you have to scan and analyze. Uh, so I think we're going to see a lot of that, uh, and there's there's a huge um, industry there waiting to happen in terms of of analyzing, or already happening, obviously, in terms of of analyzing all these uh, all this information that so many organizations are sitting on. Now, now I pass it to Matt to,
2: uh, to wrap it yeah. up. Yeah, <laughs> if I was going to answer what the future of AI was going to be, well, just looking at how it is now, I think um, many people don't realize just how AI affects almost everything they do today, right? Like, and AI determines like what's going to you know come up in their feed on Facebook or what Apple's going to show them on their phone for news or you know all those different things and. Probably from I think is that AI is going to start being much more um, like in your face with self-driving cars and that kind of stuff. It's not going to be you know this underlying uh, engine that's just presenting you things. It's um, it's going to be a lot more automation uh, and things like that in the future.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is one of those. Ongoing conversations with uh, that we've had every time we do a podcast, but also just when we have conversations with our with our clients. You know, many of our listeners know that we we have an analyst firm. That's that's what we do here at Cognitica. We spend a lot of time on market research, and we spend a lot of time talking to companies and uh, government organizations. And we were recently talking to a chief data officer for a a very large state, and this person was telling us that, you know, when we were saying, oh, you know, here are the seven patterns of AI, you know, we're going through all the seven patterns, and our listeners may may know all those patterns, you know. Well, I'll say it for those who maybe are new here. So the recognition pattern, which we've been talking a little bit about today, it's also the conversational pattern, the patterns and anomalies pattern, basically detecting patterns and anomalies, or predictive analytics pattern, hyper-personalization, autonomous systems, Mm -hmm. and goal-driven systems. And each of these are, they're all just different applications of AI. There's like no new secret sauce. It's not like we're, we've invented some new kind of machine learning to do from one pattern to the other. It's just that the reason why we use these patterns is because it's helpful when you have a conversation and two people are saying they're doing AI, and one person says, yeah, I'm doing a chatbot or an NLP system, and someone else is saying I'm doing a recognition system. Their applications are very different, even if we're using the same underlying technology. And so these patterns are a very sort of helpful handle to, to have a, a consistent. Consistent conversation. Anyway, we were we were talking about. Um, these patterns. And this person said, Well, wait a second. A lot of this is you know, predictive analytics using machine learning. That's not even really AI. I mean, because they're from a state <laughs> that's been doing AI for a long time. And they're like, That's not even really AI. I'm like, Well, uh, you know, it, it's sort of like that barrier as to what's AI and what's not has a lot to do with with how new it is to, to you. And, you know, to the extent that we're using data derived, you know, insights that are truly derived from data. So there is a difference between programmatic and, you know, uh, rules based systems that a human encodes, which is basically depending on human knowledge and human intelligence, and yet another thing for a machine to derive that insight for itself from the data. Even if you look at the code and you're like, this this is just bits and bytes and data and statistical reasoning and blah, 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 the answer is, yeah, of course it is. But then again, if you think about how your brain works, it's just a bunch of neurons firing impulses. (laughs) They're just cells. But somehow out of that system emerges this complexity that is what we call intelligence and there really isn't a very well defined word for hum for in for you know biological intelligence so it makes it very difficult for us to define artificial intelligence but that's what we're seeking we're seeking to take the big data and the technology and while we may understand the machine learning we want those systems to derive these insights that are actually pretty complicated and sophisticated, and I think that's what we're trying to do. And and so I, I love your your um, what you said here about the fact that like artificial intelligence is working its way into our everyday lives in ways we may see in many 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 ways that we are not seeing. And I think that you know for for folks to basically say ah it's so basic out there now. You can expect it. I said, well, then maybe mission somewhat accomplished, you know, at least in some of these patterns, we may not have the autonomous bots and we're still striving to achieve autonomous vehicles, but I think we're working our way closer and closer to that goal. So I I really appreciate your insight. I think this is very insightful And I think it was great having you both on this podcast. You bring a really interesting background, (laughs) a big data background that's not dominated by uh, quantitative data, a lot of uh, visual uh, data. So I think it's really fantastic. So I just want to send a big thank you to both Matt and Juan for joining us and sharing your insights here on the
3: AI Today podcast. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you, Ronald.
0: Yeah, definitely. We enjoyed this podcast so much. And listeners, we hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. Please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter, and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com.